You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Quarantine, and I'm your host, Angelique Roche. We are talking to uh, one of my one of my favorite executive producers, showrunners, and just a really amazing nerd, um, pop culture fan, and talented, talented TV writer today, Quentin Peoples. You may know his work from The Last Ship or from Marvel's Runaways or Flash Forward or so many other really cool projects out there. And we had a great chat today, uh, which was very fundamental, but also, I would say, just like very insightful on how he's still continuing to work, still continuing to write, um, and the transition of what it looks like in writers' rooms in LA right now as folks are continuing to social distance. And, you know, it was a really great conversation. Uh, Quinn is always such a lovely, lovely person who really enjoys his work. And so I am looking forward to you, particularly if you're a writer or an aspiring writer or a producer or aspiring showrunner, uh, to hear this amazing conversation. All right, we are live. It is, I believe the day is Wednesday. Um, yeah, I'll confirm. Great. Um, it is. It seems like it's been a year of Sundays, but we'll take it. Um, and I am here with the Quentin Peoples. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I am really excited. This is this is kind of a, a, a little bit of a, like a dream come true for me because I respect what you do so much. And I'm like, oh, thank um, you. Just because you, a lot of people don't, uh, they hear this, this big word producer, executive producer, showrunner, like you are a TV writer. So I just, I want to be very clear that you, you write, um, you, you, you create shows and you've done some incredible work, but then you have these big titles that I don't know if people really understand, um, that are crucial, uh, to the creation of a lot of shows we know and love. Um, and I actually first, um, f- like really found out about your work with the last ship, which was, I binged it very quickly. Um, it's yeah. very sad when it was over. Um, but it, which also is kind of pertinent towards what's happening yeah. now, Ooh. a little bit too close. Um, but for those at home who don't understand what this big word of executive producer and showrunner are, can you give us kind of an idea of what that means? Yeah, the so as far as the one of the great things about television is it it um it's really built on the writer side. So it's built from the ground up um from the writing. And as you go along in your writing career, you probably start as a staff writer and then you work up to a bunch of different levels, but eventually you reach a producer level which is that individual who has written the episode is probably going onto the set and having some input into everything from wardrobe to props to whatever happens to be there. They're more present on the production side. So as you rise through that, you just get more and more responsibility and jobs. So it extends into pre-production and on into post-production and then you're hiring people um, and you're, you have a big say in the casting and then you're really dealing with both the networks and the studio. So by the time you get to executive producer or showrunner, yeah. you're talking to many, many more people. You're managing more people like the, what I say to people, the health and welfare of the entire show, mm. your responsibility. So whereas with a staff writer, you're only worried about scripts. 
Yeah, you're in the writer's room. So it's like you get plugged right. from the writer's room and then you have to talk to people. That is- Three pages, that stuff went away. And then, but my job is to manage everything from dealing with publicity all the way down to, is that script ready? Are those stories right? Uh, the, the network's not happy with that cut or whatever it happens to be. So showrunner is really top of the food chain um, and tons of responsibility for the show, for the direction of the show, but also the management of the people. Well, what I love about that is just because you're the showrunner doesn't mean that you aren't writing episodes. And I no. think that a lot of people, and it's always fun to me because I, I, people like me watch the credits like in the beginning. Yeah. And we're like, thank you. Written by, but isn't he the, ex and, and you realize it, it is so consuming. Like it's so comprehensive um, from beginning to end. Did you know that this was what you wanted to do when you were like, I'm going to write for TV. Like, this is what I'm going to do. No, I think that in the beginning, I mean, my transition really was from TV movies and from features where, which is a very solitary kind of writing experience. Um, and so when I transitioned to television on Flash Forward, um, I was more interested in that point with the collaborative nature of being in a writer's room and lots of writers pitching in the story and helping and all that. So I was like, wow, I, I should have gotten here a lot sooner um, because I, you know, like when you're writing features or when you're writing on your own, you're doing all the lifting yourself. And in the writer's room, you got a ton of smart people to help you. So I was like, wow, this is much better. Um, and then as I began to see that the creative direction of the show is really driven by the showrunner, then I was like, yeah, I want that job. You know, because I want to be able to kind of steer the ship. I want to tell the stories that I want to tell. And so I'm going to work my way in that direction because that's that's ultimately, you know, what I want to have a larger say in. And, um, you know, it took some time, but you do, you should train your way up to that. One of the great things about television writing is that there, it actually is an apprentice program, meaning you start on a certain level of the ladder and then you earn or you learn your way uh, up. And if you do it correctly, um, best showrunners have been in TV for a while and they started as staff writers and they, they really learned it um, all the way to the top. So I, I happen to like that. And I love that idea. Um, and we've talked to a couple of folks that are in writer's room, right? Writer's rooms right now. Um, and for, for folks who aren't familiar, like Writers' rooms vary, uh, but they are rooms where there are writers and they come together and they go through scripts and they dissect these things. How have you seen uh, folks, because I know that some shows are still, like some writers' rooms are still happening yes. right now. How have you seen that shift and, and what has kind of been the adjustment of that writers' room process while people are social distancing right now? Well, two things kind of happened. One is... Over the past couple of years, writers' rooms have been getting smaller. Mm. Like when I started on um, Flash Forward, I think there were 12 writers in that room. Now, we were doing 24 episodes. Like, that was broadcast TV. But what has happened is there, there are now fewer and fewer writers in a room. Mm -hmm. So that was already happening. Mm -hmm. And then this move to kind of Zoom rooms or you know, virtual rooms or whatever 
means that it's even harder to manage all those voices because it's five boxes on your TV screen or whatever. So people are, I think the amount of time spent in even the virtual room is getting smaller. Mm. And I think what I'm seeing a little bit right now is more of what happens in British television where a showrunner has got an overall idea and then gives certain people things to do, whether it's an episode or particular pieces of work to do, and it's piecemealed out. And then that showrunner is bringing stuff back together on an individual basis with a writer because that's just easier to manage this way where it's just one box that I'm talking to as opposed to six or seven. Um, But I think what's gonna happen over the next four or five weeks as things, at least in California, start to lighten up a little bit, I think there are gonna be protocols put in place and people are gonna come back to rooms. Um, Because there's an energy that happens inside a room when things are really cooking it just really can't be duplicated here. Um, and that there's a certain something that's missing. And this is particularly around jokes. Uh, you know, like there's a vibe that goes on when smart people are together that can't be duplicated virtually. So we'll do the best we can right now, but certainly there's not going to be any replacing that energy um, no. digitally. So. Uh, I, I think we're headed back to to being in a room with the smart people. And I think that actually brings up a really good question. A lot of folks who have these favorite TV shows, because let's be real, um, anybody right now who's got any free time who is, you know, socially distancing is consuming a lot of yeah. television or books or books. Um, but but a lot of a lot of there's a lot of binge watching happening. Yeah. Um, for you, and I think I have like a couple separate questions when we talk about shows that are made to binge that are all dropped at the same time, because you've done both. You've done appointment TV and you've done, we've just dropped all, all 13 episodes uh, type TV. You know, for you, w- once there is a show idea and it's kind of out there, what is, and I kind of, you know, there's the pilot, like that's the simple answer, like that's the next step. But once there's a show idea and the pilot is greenlit, um, which we know is, is such a crucial and hard task um, to kind of put together, um, where do you then start, you know, with the next phase and with the writer's room and how that works normally? Yeah, basically what happens is even, even when a creator is selling a show, he or she will have to lay out what season one, the general arc of season one, the spine, like this is where we're going. And I think at the end of season one, here's the big cliffhanger. So it's like a roadmap. So they've, they've set up some things that they want to hit that they sold to the network. Yeah. Now, those things obviously change and so forth and so on, but they come into the room with those things. So that's absolutely the first thing that happens is that you usually – put up on the board somewhere on the whiteboard that you use by episode five, we want to be here by episode six. We want to be here and, you know, finale here. So that stuff goes off. Now, rarely does a showrunner or the creator know how he or she is getting from here to there. I mean, not everybody's Babylon five and has a full Bible for the entire, for the entire. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. So for instance, when you talk about the last ship, um, those guys definitely knew where they wanted to end 
um, season one. Yeah. And they had some ideas for some places that they wanted to be, some certain ideas. Um, and then the room came in, and it's up to those people to go, well, here's the best way I think we can get from here to here to here. Um, and now all you're doing is you're you're laying out like the ways version of how to get from your, your point A to point B. And that's really the work of the room. Um, and also to be open to changing those things uh, if you come up with a better idea, which is mostly what happens. So a lot of things like I put up on Instagram or Facebook or somewhere not too long ago, the season three board for Runaways that existed like in the first couple of weeks. And I think... You know, we only did 10 episodes in season three, so there are 13 slots still up there, so we were still working with 13 stories. There was a whole section of what we call three men and a baby, which were going to be the dads building Victor Mancha, which obviously never got into the show. No! I'm yeah. sorry, I'm so excited right now because you said Victor Mancha. Yeah, exactly. So that was, and that really, like, that existed for a long, long time. And even after we got cut back to 10 episodes, we were like, well, how can we get this in? And ultimately it just, spoilers for people who haven't seen it, but it ended up just being a note, right? Like there's a note in the very end that Alex gets from his future self that um, name checks Victor. But, but that's a perfect example. Um, Hold on just a second. Uh, the beauty of the outside. I know. Woohoo! <laughs> We're in Southern California where gardeners are still working. Um, so I don't know about it, but I'm I'm glad that people are working when they can. Me too. Good for them. Uh, so that's a good example of. Yeah. People going, oh, we have a great idea. We really carried it as far as we could. Then for lots of other reasons, that piece had to be dropped. Yeah. New yeah. stories had to be uh, put in its place. But you, I mean, we worked for weeks and weeks and weeks on that with the assumption that Victor Mancha would be introduced in the show. And, and then, like I said, so you're constantly adjusting as you go. Yeah. Um, but those first few weeks are really about making a roadmap that we will then follow and break episodes. So once that roadmap is in place, then we start back episode one. What is that about? We break that. Episode two, what's that about? We break that and we go forward like that. And then writers are given those episodes and then they leave the room to write them while everybody else proceeds down the, proceeds down the path. And they kind of know, and, and I love it because there's an assumption that they know the point A and the point B. They know where their episode is supposed to start and they know where it is supposed to end and how they're supposed to get the baton to the next episode. You know, for you, um, are you are you still writing? Are you, like, are you still writing right now? Are you doing writing yeah. rooms? Like, yeah, wow. Yes, I mean, I'm. I, I would say that I'm super lucky. Uh, writers in this scenario are super lucky because obviously uh, they can work remotely. Yeah. And studios and networks really felt like, and 
rightly so, um, that this was an opportunity to get a lot of stuff done ahead of time and have it prepped for when production can then begin. Whereas normally you might be writing and producing and doing all this stuff at the same time. And that's, that's can be really difficult. That's, that's a lot of work happening all at once. So studios and networks were very much like, well, let's get ahead, right? When nothing else is going on, let's just pay attention to scripts and to new material and development. And that's very much been my experience over the past few weeks. And I love that because we've talked a lot. Uh, we've talked to a lot of uh, actors. We talked to a couple of directors. And I wanted, I really wanted to talk to, and we've talked to a couple of folks who are in writer's rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not their full time. That's not what they do all the time, but they, they are in several different writer's rooms with animation and live action. And it's interesting because you'll hear people go, yeah, I get pages that day. And it's like, you forget those pages come from someone. <laughs> and they were written and they were adjusted because of the things you're kind of talking about, whether or not something had to be pulled or added or the director or the showrunner felt like there needed to be an adjustment. And I I love kind of thinking about what does it mean to have all of this stuff ready? Yes. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, my, my real first experience with that was on 11, 22, 63, which was built in a way specifically for this, meaning they knew ahead of time that they were going to finish all the writing before they did any production. Mm. Now, why that decision was made, I'm not entirely sure that was before I came on, but they, from the very beginning, that meant the showrunner and all the writers would be in the room the entire time, that all the scripts would be finished, and then they would just be delivered to the production. Um, Now, part of that had to do with the scale of the show, meaning we were going to stage the Kennedy assassination, and that was a huge thing. And all of that. Um, but it was very luxurious from a writer's point of view because there was no real ticking clock going like, hey, we're going to be finished by Friday, which is normally TV. Yeah. Like there's always, you, you in TV, you're always playing against the clock. Um, whereas in features, you're rarely playing against the clock. Hmm. Um, and so 112263 was the first time that that really happened. And then on the first season of, um, uh, the last ship was the same way. So both of those, and those jobs happened back to back. And I was like, well, I guess maybe this is kind of what we're doing. It hasn't proven to be the case, but it was interesting that the writing process for the people in the room was much more stress-free. Mm. It just seemed like you had time to work through ideas and make sure everything was right. Um, and there, there, it was just much more wiggle room. Whereas normally you're just like, boom, we got to get it done Friday, this thing, they got to have pages of shoot, like that's yeah. got VFX, blah, blah, blah. So um, it was interesting. Which is interesting because when you think of a show like a Grey's Anatomy and like we were talking to folks who, and we've had varied, we'd had people who were working on the magicians and they're done, right? Like yeah. they, they're, they're, their finale happened. Were there things that they wish they would have done uh, that would have been added? Maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Secure, done. They're in ADR, right? They got pages, but they're just doing ADR. They're not They're not doing much. People are on the phone or there's other stuff happening. Whereas you have shows like The Flash or Grey's Anatomy or a lot of the yeah. CW shows right now who are like, we'll show shows until we're done showing shows because we were still in production, even though yeah. 
the episodes were going out. And so it's really interesting because I think a lot of folks see the Netflix model and or the Hulu yes. model, depending on what the show is. Um, Marvel's Runaways being completely different than, let's say, um, Handmaid's Tale, um, which became appointment TV. Um, and they were right. done. Like they were finished. Like they were wrapped up. They were ready to go. The post was done. And, and they were out and it's just so interesting seeing and remembering that there are different methods. Do you think that changes based on the genre of TV show or is that just like a choice of the showrunner or the network on how that process all happens? It really is a choice. It, it's, and it's a big, it still seems to be a big, um, I would say there's a lot of different theories still floating around about what's best. So it's not like that is, and I don't, maybe it'll never be resolved. So it is happening on a case by case basis where people are going, well, I think what's best for my show is this. Um, and I think that um, one of the things that Netflix, I think the argument's probably over at Netflix. I, I think Netflix has said, or believes um, that their big selling point is the fact that if you come to Netflix, you can watch the show at your own pace. And that's the point. That's the reason you came to Netflix. And we, we leave that choice to you and you watch it once a week or you watch it over a whole weekend. That's how we got your money. Um, Hulu, the, um, that conversation has not been resolved. So uh, that's a... It depends on the show. Yeah, case-by-case case basis. We're going to drop three, and then we're going to drop one at a time or whatever it happens to be. And that seems to be also Apple's um, approach, case-by-case. Yeah. Case. Um, and I think there's probably going... You're going to see that now. Like I, I've got some friends working on Council of Dads, mm-hmm. um, which... They had a little teaser earlier in the season, and then I think tomorrow night they're going to show the pilot in the next episode, and then they'll go to the weekly thing. So it's the Wild West right now with all the streaming services. Absolutely. And so everybody's trying to respond, and I think that younger viewers um, value ownership. They do want to be in charge of how they watch it. So streamers or networks go, well, if we want that audience, if we want younger viewers, we're going to have to put this in their hands. And then the CW would say, well, no, no, no. I mean, we only give them one episode of Riverdale a week and they stick around. So like I said, it's nobody knows. And I think that's actually kind of the beauty of it is that no one does know and it gives this opportunity for a show to be good. Cause I remember there used to be great shows that just, they got a horrible time slot or it was just on the worst day or the competition was really crazy. And that's just something that you really don't deal with anymore. Right. So like even in watching a Westworld or an insecure, you know, Game of Thrones being Game of Thrones almost breaks the streaming of, yeah. of what was happening. It was a phenomenon. But most of the time I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to catch up with tomorrow morning at you know 9 a.m. while I'm drinking my coffee. And it's yeah. just a different concept than going, well, if I'm not sitting down at seven o'clock on a Friday watching TGIF, I'm going to miss it. And I don't know when the reruns are happening, if right. ever. Um, and yeah, and I, think, I think people can catch up. And, I, and again, it's 
what you hear from these guys when you go in to meet with them and when you talk to them about creating shows, wherever it happens to be, whether it's Hulu or Netflix or FX or wherever you are, they're really talking more about their library than they are about what's happening on the day and day. So they're looking to fill, uh, I mean, an HBO Max and some of these others, the Peacock will be the best example. They're looking to fill libraries for people to watch after they finished the A-list thing that they signed up for. It, it's archival, like we were kind of talking about, right? Because when they're done, there's this now this idea of an algorithm of recommendation. And then you get yep. this list of, if you like this, you'll love this. <laughs> no doubt about it. And I would say that that has proven to be the case uh, when Runaways moved to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole level of viewer um, who was interested in Runaways but couldn't talk their parents or couldn't find the money to buy Hulu. Like there was no, there was not a strong enough buy reason for Hulu. But there was a huge buy for Disney Plus, right? So Marvel movies, you know, Pinocchio, whatever, like people could see the value and they're like, okay, we're buying that. Then they came on like, oh, and Runaways is here too. So Again, my social media feed, my email, like everything just blew up as soon as we hit Disney Plus because there's a whole group of people who had been interested but didn't have the money to buy. And now they were all in. And that was months and months after the show was over. So now I had a completely brand new life. uh, And that was rewarding. I'm super happy about that. That's pretty amazing because that also is kind of that idea of appointment and missing it in a very different way because you missed it just because it was behind a paywall, not because you you couldn't watch it. Um, So for you right now, um, you are still writing, you're still being creative, uh, but you're not, you again, like I want to go back to this beginning statement of you're not in that room. There's not that energy and your calm demeanor Maybe mistaken, uh, but I do know that is that is I can I can see it in your eyes that it's something that you really really love. Um, yes. How have you been kind of adjusting and and figuring out ways to keep that energy together? Because writing, regardless of how long you've been doing it, um, is sometimes um, I don't want to say frustrating, but it is it is it's work. It is yes. it is a thing to put together something that is translatable for someone else. Um, yes. So how have you been uh, kind of creatively, um, creatively adjusting? Well, one of the things that I've tried to do is really um, maintain some ritual, meaning that I have a whole kind of, because I've been at this long enough, I, I, I know my rhythm pretty well. Like I know what the sweet spot of the day is for me. I know what the run up, like what needs to happen in order for me to be really productive in that moment. So I try and duplicate all of those things. So if normally I'm at the writing table between eight and nine o'clock, whether I was in a room or I'm at home, I'm trying to be consistent so that the day actually feels like the way it used to feel. I may, I may not be in that other location and I may not be with other writers in the room, but the day is pretty consistent with the way in which it unfolds. So that gives me a sense of security in a really insecure, larger context. Like we wake up every day and we don't know what the new news is going to be or what's going to be happening. 
and that's discombobulating. So if at the center of that, I can create consistency, this pretty much feels the way it used to feel in terms of how I'm spending my hours, then I get real comfort and I feel centered and my creative mind can work the same way. Now, the energy that I feed off from other people now has to be done through things like this, yeah. um, through texting back and forth with other writers who I'm helping or in contact with. Uh, we do, I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls. There's a lot of actual um, business business that's getting done now electronically this way. So all of keeping that energy up so that now the weekend still feels like the weekend so that I stop that work over the weekend. Yeah. And it gives a sense of familiarity that I personally need. I'm not a big chaos person. You mentioned the calm demeanor. So like, I, like I'm not a big, like I don't really vibe off of just fireworks going off and it's crazy here every day. Like I, that's not me. No, not you. Not you. <laughs> no, not me. So the, me creating that consistency over time, my brain, my creative brain is like, okay, this is just like it always is. We're going to do the thing now that we normally do. We're doing it in the bedroom as opposed to in the writer's room, but we're still doing the same thing. Um, and I found that to be really important uh, in terms of generating pages and ideas and, and whatever it is that I'm working on. Yeah. Actually, like deep down inside, the only thing I'm really sad is that you can't go to Disneyland. Like that deep down inside, like uh, I, just, I just feel really... I, for those who don't know, your Disney fandom is... It's a sickness. No, but I, I'm, I'm really like, I'm the crazy guy who went on YouTube and found that 12-hour audio loop that somebody walked through the park. I don't know how they did it. But it's 12 hours of just ambient noise of being in Disneyland. And man, I run that in the background all the time. That's like music for me. It is. It goes on and on and on. And again, it's another thing where I go like, I can feel like the endorphins and I can feel like my whole body go like, ah, oh, it's going to be all right. It'll so okay. that's how crazy it is around here. But I, but I, I love that you do have this very expansive knowledge, one. Um, but this core, like you love, you don't just love doing what you do. You love the subject matter of what you do. And it takes that kind of uh, passion. You're also a big comic book head and you don't yes. just write TV shows. Yes. Um, you, you have written, you have dabbled in the comic book industry as well. Talk to yes. me a little bit of why you decided like you could have just stayed a fan, but you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to write this. No, I mean, the thing for me really was, and I tell people this all the time, I'm sure you've heard me say it in the past. Like as a kid, I wanted to grow up and be Jack Kirby. Like that was just it for me. Like I thought that guy was the pinnacle and that's that really drove me for a long time. And Jack has really been kind of a centering thing for me. Like that super creative um, imagination that just didn't have any boundaries and just continued to work and work and work and work and work. So he's always been a guiding light for me. Um, and so as a kid and certainly as a younger person, I was like, man, I'm getting into comics. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, now that went away 
as I became more, I went to art school and thought I was going to be a painter and really thought I was headed towards the fine arts. So I, I, I pursued that for a while um, before turning to writing. Um, but I never got rid of that bug that at some point I would hopefully get an opportunity to make comics. And then just about a year and a half ago, maybe it's been two years now, uh, I was approached by uh, the French publisher Humanoids and they said, you want to do something? And I said, yeah, oh, yeah, I do. And I had a story that they approved and I wanted to do a crime story. And that ended up becoming The Big Country, which is the graphic novel that um, that they published in November. So, yeah, it was a childhood dream come true. And I loved every minute of it. And, um, yeah, it's been a great, great experience. Just as good as I hoped it would be when I was a kid. So in, in all of that and like understanding that you are just such a, a pure creative, um, how are you staying, um, how are you staying creative? Like, I know you've got this process. I know you're going through it and that's, that's the process part. Um, but is it just all Disneyland ambient noise all day? Is it like, I got to take a break and push away when I've got to push away? Um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I've got a pretty well-oiled kind of um, mentality around output and input. Hmm. So I'm not afraid to say I'm in an input area, which is then I'm just doing tons of reading. I'm just totally tuned to the outside world, like looking at what's going around really thinking deeply about what kind of stories energize me, what's cool, what, what's on my mind all the time, kind of a mental inventory. And so I have to be um, very honest with myself about this is an input day, this is not an output day, um, and try and be true to what's actually going on in the moment. Like when you're working, you don't get that luxury all the time. Like every day is an output day. So stuff's got to go. And you just push through that. But in times like this, I try and be more sensitive to, all right, this is an input day. This is actually still work. This is what I do for a living. I, again, I use the phrase all the time. I don't get paid to type. I get paid to stare out the window. And so I love it understanding that that that's how it works meaning i need this stuff to come in like if i showed you the reading desk right now like there's tons of books on it there's old star wars comics it's like for whatever reason at the moment the like star wars marvel star wars comics from the 70s are kind of making their way back into my reading list and i'm not entirely sure why but it's it's tripping me right now like I'm, I'm just into it so it's like I don't need to know why I just need to know that it's filling something in me at the moment and go I, I, I'll know when I've had enough ice cream like I, I, I can like I can stop but right now it's just Star Wars comics so um, I've, I'm relaxed around that nice. and I, like I said I, I let it be day by day like mm, this is an output day this is an input day and I don't judge whether that's right or wrong. Mm. Just it is what it is. Um, and I know the day is coming when I'll have to be many, many, many output days in a row. So if today is an input day, that there's no harm or no foul around that. 
I love that. And I also think that's like a really, really good piece of advice for folks who are, you know, struggling with this idea. And, and it's kind of been a common thread throughout all of the conversations. Today and tomorrow and the next few weeks may not be your time to write the next great American novel. And it is okay. Um, because there is this I think we have lost the idea of inspiration some many times, most times is it is sparked externally, right? Mm -hmm. Like you may have the story inside of you, but a lot of times it's all based on our experience, where we've been, you know, people we've met. Like when you look at things like The Office, right? It's based on real things that happen right. at offices. <laughs> um, yeah. And so life has to happen at some point to be able to be inspired or be creative. And so I think that's such a, an interesting perspective about input and output days. Cause I don't know if we've all had, and I don't even say the luxury. I don't know if we've all been, you know, had the awareness to take that step back and go, I'm just going to go read a book. Maybe yeah. I read before, find something new in it. Uh, mm -hmm. and inspired. Um, what are you doing for fun? Well, the again, I'm I like Duke Ellington on this one, which is, you know, Duke Ellington said, um, I don't really have a job. I mean, I love what I do so much that there is there is no I don't need to take a vacation. So that's I've been super blessed to get into a spot where actually reading Star Wars comics is part of my job and and part of what I do. So as as much as um, I, you know, obviously have things like we're we're doing a jigsaw puzzle like everybody else in America. I got this Charlie Brown jigsaw puzzle going on that is the most intense thing. Like I can't. I'm gonna have to put it away. Like it's just beating me. Um, but but like we've got lots of that stuff around the house. But in terms of fun, like my life is fun. So I'm full of those kinds of things as a regular part of my life. And it's not really separate from my work. Um, so I'm going to start. I just ordered the Doctor Who box set thing, the Matt Smith years. Like I'm going to watch that thing from top to bottom. So there'll be lots of that stuff. I just got really excited for you. Yeah. Oh, I just... And that's what you mean. Like I've, I already watched all those live at the same time. It's not like I don't know them, but I feel like right now I want to be there. So I don't think too much about why that is. Maybe it's a little familiarity and I love those years. I love those episodes so much. So I'll just go over there yeah. um, and spend that time with that stuff. Yeah. So, between you know. David Tennant and Matt Smith, I will honestly say, um, and you can at me on this folks who are watching, um, the action-packedness of both those actors' ability to be so physical, like their literal mm -hmm. physicality in executing those scripts, um, yeah. it's it's just phenomenal because it was just a whole it was a whole shift in how Doctor Who was presented and in the modernization of the show um, that makes it so much fun to watch. No question about it, and I was really like you know, before you hit the send button on Amazon or whatever, I'm like, okay, so these are kind of streaming here and there. Do I want to own these? And then you go, 
Yes, actually I do. I want to be in possession of this so that any moment, if I want to go and watch the opening of the Pandorica or any of those things that I want, I can just pull it up and it's there. That's how good all of that work is. That David Tennant to the Matt Smith run is, it's just classic and there's no reason to not be in full ownership of it. Yeah, so. and it's so funny, like both those actors, I've, I've interviewed them both and, and, and David literally is that person. Like he's just yeah. physically, if you've ever met, like he's just physically, he was explaining to me how someone on set had basically like broken his nose and he couldn't just tell the story. Oh, no. He had to actually act out the story and then and then you it clicks and goes, Oh, that's just you. That's yeah, it you is. on the screen. Uh-huh. Okay. And then you realize that, you know, Matt Smith was a footballer before he couldn't, you know, play anymore. And you're like, oh, that's just it's it you brought yourself to the screen. So they are so much fun to watch. And I love it because, you know, it's the same thing where people are like, well, if you want to learn how to do something, you want to be inspired how to do something, or if you do a thing, watching other people do the thing isn't a bad thing. No, not not a bad thing but that's fine. Um, so in and of itself, kind of as we close out, do you, you, I, I want, I want to say like, you also did uh, a series for screenwriting um, that is now available on your YouTube, which is really cool. What inspired you to decide that you were going to take the class that you, you normally do teach um, this uh, UCLA? UCLA, yep. Um, what made you decide to do that? Well, obviously the circumstance was the first thing, but uh, I have been feeling quite a bit lately, and I, and I mentioned it earlier, that I've really been uh, blessed with an extraordinary life there by any measure. Um, and that the point of my being blessed with that life is actually to give it away. So the only reason that I've been given this thing is so that I could give it away. And at this particular moment, it felt like the right time to give that away uh, so that those people who were feeling like um, I'll never be able to afford to go to this class, I'll never be able to work with people like this, blah, 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 that those barriers would be lowered. Um, and that I would just give that thing away to anybody, anywhere, um, who could get on YouTube and go through it and wanted to spend this time in quarantine actually jump-starting something and making it that I could really be an encourager there, give them both some tools, but also encourage them to go, hey, if you really wanna do it, you just gotta sit down and, and get started. Um, and like I said, I didn't want that to cost anything. So whereas normally, obviously if I'm teaching at UCLA, that's a tuition thing and, and all of that. Um, so I just felt like this was the perfect time to give that away and the technology, and as you said, Everybody's on their screens anyway. Might as well be watching this as opposed to another episode of Fuller House if that's what they want to do. I mean, Fuller House, man. Talk about reboots. Again, created because someone rec recommended Full House and people start an uptick. That's uh, right. I predict a lot of reboots happening after this quarantine. Well, I think one of the things that happened that surprised people, I mean, I know I was surprised, was... Uh, how the ratings for regular broadcast TV shot through the roof. And there was literally no reason for that to happen. 
except that people wanted that familiar experience. So it wasn't like TV, broadcast TV got better and people like, hey, this is actually better than I thought. It's still the same thing it always was. And they went, oh, you know, I kind of like the way this feels. And when the commercials come on, it doesn't bother me as much as I thought it would. So I'm just going to stick around. Um, and that's that sense of familiarity that I think you're right. You're going to see a lot of like, oh, remember how good this used to feel? And, and believe me, I think that's coming. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting um, how all of this is connected. Um, for those who should be following you, who aren't following you yet, but also so they can check out the YouTube, uh, can you let everybody know where to find you and, and all your stuff? Yeah, I think if you go on YouTube and you just enter my name, um, it will take you right. Yep, there it is. Uh, <laughs> it'll take you right there and you'll see all 10 videos in a row. We've classified them by day. So if you want to follow along, you can, you can jump around uh, if you're, you're not into that, but they do follow from starting a project all the way through revision. The very last episode is really about the life of a screenwriter, agents, managers, all of that part. So um, if you follow chronologically, there, there is a, a purpose to that. Um, and then I think one of the students, uh, started a Facebook page where people who have questions and want to have a further discussion are logging onto that Facebook page, talking to each other. And then I drop in, um, occasionally to answer a question or, or help out. And I think that's under, I think the Facebook page is writing with Quinton. Um, so yeah. Both Facebook and YouTube, and it's it's there for you if you if you dig it. I love it. Uh, thank you so very much for like taking the time out. This is um, this has been great. Well, thank you. I'm a huge fan, and I love everything that you do and everywhere you do it. So it was really an honor for me to be asked. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, so thank you so much, everybody. If you want to follow Quentin, please do. It's uh, and and go binge all the shows he's ever touched, please. Like now, uh, I actually I actually started rebinging the last show. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, now's the time. Let me tell you. Creative Quarantine is hosted by Angelique Roche. It's produced by Angelique Roche, Sarah Storm, and Matt Storm. Our logo is designed by Aaron Leffler. New streaming episodes are available Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern and Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on AngeliqueRocher.com forward slash creative quarantine. Podcasts are made available the morning after each live streamed episode wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and visit us on Instagram at creative.quarantine and Twitter at creativequeutine. Please send this to a friend who needs a little artistic company and stay at home if you possibly can. We'll see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.